And I decided, all right, this is the best time in my life to do what I've always dreamed I wanted to do. So I got started. Jill Smith-Intrigan was born in Thomason, Georgia, the Emerald of Upson County. She taught high school literature for more than 30 years, but retirement gave her a chance to finally write some herself. Now she's published two books with a third on the way. On this show, we emphasize core pursuits. They're like hobbies on steroids, things that get you out of bed in the morning. And Jill has a healthy collection. She's a very happy retiree, but that doesn't mean it's been easy. As we all know, life is full of challenges, but Jill has had some doozies. Yet, each time she was knocked down, she got back up stronger and more determined to live life to the fullest. If you're looking for some guidance on how to be a happy retiree, you do not want to miss this episode. Jill Smith Intrican is not a client of Capital Investment Advisors. She was not compensated for participating in our podcast, but of course, we really appreciate her joining us to share her retirement story. Do you ever wonder who you'll be and what you'll do after your career is over? Wouldn't it be nice to hear stories from people who figured it out, who are thriving in retirement? I'm Ryan Doolittle. After working with the Retire Sooner team for years and researching and writing about how they structure their lifestyles, I know there's more to be learned. So I'm going straight to the source and taking you with me. My mission with the Happiest Retirees podcast is to inspire 1 million families to find happiness in retirement. I want to learn how to live an exceptional life from people who do it every day. Let's get started. Jill, welcome to Happiest Retirees. I'm thrilled to be here today. Well, we're thrilled to have you. You are what they call a get, a good get. Oh, well, I like that. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to thank you for driving an hour from Carrollton to join us in the Retire Sooner studio. I know we're stealing you from your busy social calendar, but oh, we're yeah. sharing you with the listeners. So I hope I hope that's a good trade-off. Actually, I just miss yoga this morning. That's the only thing I oh. miss. So. You know, when I make my wife miss yoga, she's usually a little crankier, yeah. so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen with us yogis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like if she doesn't do downward dog, then I'm in the doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> so help me settle a bet. Is it true that your daughters only call you mama when they want something? Always mama. Now, they, if they're upset with me, it's mother but any other time, it's mama. It's mama. It's oh, okay. a term of endearment for me. I, I love it. <laughs> I When I was talking to your daughter, Holly, about you, and she was calling you mom, and then I noticed mama would slip in there, too. Yes. that's okay. She's never called me mom. Okay. She's too that southern was... <laughs> to use that term. <laughs> it was a facade just for yeah. my benefit. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. You brought up yoga. So you're kind of a workout nut, and you, you basically never miss a yoga class unless I make you... That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> five days a week. Five. Wow. Okay. And you have a group of girlfriends and you all travel together. You That's volunteer. Correct. You volunteer uh, at a homeless shelter. Yes. And you host a book club. Yes. And your third book is about to be published. Hopefully so. By the first okay. of the year. Yes. Okay. So how did you find all these core pursuits? I mean, how did you know you wanted to do them? How did you find where to do them? I taught high school English for 31 years, and when I retired, my husband was still working. I was fortunate that I was only 52 when I retired, and I had 31 years in, but, you know, that's 
that's a good perk for being an educator and still have my, my medical insurance. So, you know, I was good to go. The first six months of retirement were difficult because you feel it loose ends. And I've, I've discovered that that's normal with other people I've talked to. But I had always, my, my both my daughters and my husband knew that I'd always wanted to write a book. My father was a journalist. He owned the newspaper and was editor of the newspaper in Thomaston. So I grew up with printer's ink in my blood, I guess you'd say. <laughs> so my youngest daughter gave me a book for my retirement, and it was the title of it was How to Write the Novel. I finally sat down and read that, and I decided, all right, this is the best time in my life to do what I've always dreamed I wanted to do. So I got started. I was lucky when I taught my last five years, I taught at McIntosh High School in Peachtree City, and I divided my time between seniors and freshmen, and seniors are a hoot. Freshmen now, I learned over the years that freshmen until spring share one brain, so anything (laughs) you're going to teach them, you've got to really show them. And we had read a beautiful short story by Truman Capote called A Christmas Memory. And they, uh, I wanted them to write a memory essay, but they said, what's that? So I figured, okay, I'll write one so I can give them an idea of what to write. And so I wrote one that actually became the springboard for my first book. And I thought if we've got time, I would read it to you. Oh, of course. All righty. Reading Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory helped to spark a special memory of a Christmas long past for me. I just turned eight and was finally old enough to be a brownie scout. After meetings, I was allowed to walk the three blocks to the newspaper office, where my daddy, or Diddy as I called him, worked as editor and part owner. Just before Christmas, Mrs. Itson, our troop leader, had each brownie bring a scrubbed-out Campbell's soup can for our Christmas crafts project. She provided rickrack, glitter, and paint so that we could create a pencil holder for a loved one. I knew right away that my pencil holder would be for Diddy. Though never much of an artist, I toiled with painstaking care on the project. Before the meeting ended, Mrs. Itson had each brownie display her decorated can. Somehow, the cans of all the other brownies seemed prettier than mine. (laughs) Amidst the Snickers, I overheard Rachel Fountain, the tallest, meanest girl in our troop, whisper, I bet her daddy throws that right in the trash can. By the time I'd walked the three blocks to Diddy's office, my face was red and chapped from burning tears. Where's my little sunshine? Diddy asked when he greeted me. I was too devastated to speak. Instead, I shoved my now tacky gift into his hand. Diddy grinned. I can tell you worked hard on this, and it will be a perfect for holding my chewing gum. Years later, when my dear, dear Diddy died suddenly of a heart attack, I helped Mama clean out his office. Atop his desk was an ugly green can filled with clove chewing gum. That Christmas so long ago left me with a simple memory about a simple gift and a lifetime of realizing that the greatest gifts are those that come from one's heart. So, 
That was wow. how I began. <laughs> you know, the the thought of you giving your, your dad this Campbell's soup can, and I know that you at the time felt that the other girls in the class were better at their glitter globs than you were. <laughs> Uh, but the fact that he kept it for his entire life and you, and you probably did, I think from your essay, you didn't realize that until later. No, I did not. I did not. But I have the can now. Oh. And, and when I, when I was doing my touring with my first book, Star of Flint, I always showed the can because this idea does make its way into the book, but it became the springboard. The interesting thing was when I wrote this, I had an English teacher's daughter in my class. And the English teacher came to me the next day with the essay I had written, and she said, Jill, this is good. You really need to, to expand on this. And I laughed, put it in what we teachers call File 13, because, you know, I'm grading hundreds of, of essays and research papers. I didn't have time for that. But when I retired and I read that book about how to write the novel, the first thing I did was to get out my essay and think, okay, let's get started. So I did. It's f so crazy what ends up inspiring us to kind of springboard forward. You're exactly right. You're exactly oh. right. I had a, a, a lot of encouragement from my family. My two daughters and my husband was my biggest cheerleader. And on uh, when I wrote... He, he was still working, but I had a process of writing, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. But when he would get home, if I had finished a chapter, it would be waiting in the kitchen, and he would get so excited. And we would go out on the back porch. I'd have a glass of wine, and he'd have his cocktail, and um, I would read it to him. And he was a great auditory listening person, so he heard things that— were wrong, and he'd stop me and say, "No, that doesn't sound right." And there, there was one time where where the little girl is driving a, a straight stick, an old Studebaker, fifty one Studebaker, and and he he worked me through that. And then the second book, there's a lot of football in it, and he had played football and was a huge Georgia fan, so he worked me through all all the correct ways to talk about the plays and the football. So it was it was a family affair, but it was so much fun. Well, and I don't know if he did this or, but you had for your second book, Buck's Junction was from the point of view of boys, right? Yes. Or of yes. So did he help you stay in that tone um, so you didn't? Well, the book is loosely, the second book is loosely based on my husband and his first cousin. And uh, when I was working on that book, we were still living in Peachtree City, but his cousin was in, in Carrollton, actually in a little town called Bowden Junction, which is between Carrollton and Bremen. And it was where I had the setting. That's how I came up with Buck's Junction. And we would go visit his cousin, and we would sit out on the porch, and they would start talking. And I always had a yellow legal pad, and I would just reach down and just write and write and write and then take it back and turn it into a chapter. So uh, that was that was a lot of fun because, and, and I will say that the first one is loosely based on my life, loosely. As I tell everybody, the joy of writing fiction is you can take a little truth and twist it any way you like. Right, And so right. that's what I did. But it's told from the point of view of a girl who becomes a young woman in the course of the story. The second one, the point of view of a boy, 
becoming a young man in, in, in the course of the story was a little more difficult because that voice is hard to find. But hearing all those old stories between him and his cousin helped me a lot to be oh, able to do that. Yeah. When you started these, so you said you had, you had taught literature for 30 years, and then now you're encouraged to do it yourself. But how much confidence did you have in your ability to do it? <laughs> well, you know, at first, I, I had no idea. I really had no idea. Uh, and I, I, terrible, I hate to say this, but as an English teacher, the, one of the uh, first rules that you teach your students when they're writing is to, to have a plan. No, you got to have an outline. You've got to have a, a writing plan before you start. Well, I didn't do that. That was just not the way my, my brain worked for this. But I would start with an idea, and with uh, we had two boxers over the years that I was writing. And my first boxer was named Huckleberry, after Huckleberry Finn, which is one oh. of the books I used to teach. And we would walk, and I would work out the details of that chapter in my head while we walked. I, I wore that poor dog's pads out. <laughs> But then I would come back and I would write the chapter. And then I would sit on it for a day or two. Well, I'd read it to my husband. He would hear it. I'd make changes. The way I, I work is I'm more of an editor. So I would go back and change things and change things and change things. I used to tell my seniors if Shakespeare walked in and we were reading Macbeth, he would sit down with a red pen and start making changes. So <laughs> editing was the way... I was my storyboard, my plan. You know, I would get it down in the rough, and then I would polish it. So really, that's the way I would start. And and when I couldn't get a chapter done, I would go walk or cut the grass. <laughs> I oh. did a lot of planning when I cut the grass. But in the second book, my youngest daughter is a, a freelance writer, and she edited both of my books. Um, oh, wow. And that's Amy? Amy? Amy, right? Her name's Amy. And my second book... Uh, I was finished. I was so excited. I mean, it was like I tied a bow on it, and I sent it to her. Well, 24 hours later, she called, and she said, Mother, and I went, uh-oh. <laughs> she said, you, you need another chapter right in this particular place because you lose the thread of Buck and Lonnie, who are the two main characters. And I went, oh, please, no. I was so upset. So I— slammed down the phone, and I grabbed Huckleberry. I said, no, actually, it was my second boxer, then Sundance. And I grabbed Sundance, and I said, we're going to walk. And when I got back, I had that chapter. And actually, it was my husband's favorite chapter in the book, and I had to admit that my editor daughter was correct. You know, so uh, that was difficult to, to learn, but it was the right, right move, and I'm glad I didn't just leave it and fuss with her. So... Between Huckleberry and Sundance, and I'm assuming Dixie, Dixie, your dogs, all the dogs are kind of clamoring to be your dog because they get to go on a lot of walks. They get to go. <laughs> Dixie and I walk three times a day. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, we live somewhere where, where her backyard's a postage stamp now, so oh. uh, so we walk three times a day, but she does love it, and it's great for my thinking and, and writing, so... I, I need to borrow. I'm always trying to get steps on my watch, and I <laughs> sounds like I need to borrow some of your steps. <laughs> well, I'll be happy to share. <laughs> <laughs> well, you speak a lot about revise, revise, revise. Yes. And 
you know, I, mean, I assume you were arrested for the teacher police for not writing an outline. But <laughs> now, now that you're revise, 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 I, I feel like there's almost a, th- a theme there for retirement because you're sort of revising or reinventing oh, your life. Oh, yes. And I have reinvented my life more than one time since I retired. Well, uh, I want to hear how you had the courage to do that, how you knew what to do. Well, I, I don't know that I we, I did know what to do. I, like I say, the first six months, it was like when the school buses ran, my feet hit the floor. It was like I was still <laughs> in that school teacher mode, you know. Yeah. And and it, it took about six months before I started to f- figure out all the adventures that I had ahead of me. And that's what I call them, adventures, yeah. because I was young. I still feel young. So I just, you know, my husband and I were always, he was a workout fanatic before I was. But, I, you know, I joined the gym with him. I started going to classes in the morning. I made, I made a group of friends there. And then I joined a Bible study at uh, my church. And before long, I was one of the facilitators for the Bible study. You know, they school teachers, you know, they just that got that in their, their blood. <laughs> right. And so I, I, I loved that. So I had two groups of friends there. And then my husband and I, I, I did the two books. Well, the first book, I finished it and I couldn't find a publisher. I had two publishers interested. It was published in 2010, and this was earlier. This was about two th- between 2008 and 2009. I had two publishers very interested, but one of them said the economy had taken a little dive, and one mm. of them said we just can't take our chance on, on a new author, and the second one said uh, we love the story, but it's too long. I learned later on that there's a certain length that readers like, and you don't want mm. to go over that. And mine was way over it. Okay. Uh, so uh, they said, if you can edit it down, uh, we'll, we'll reconsider. So uh, the name of the publishing company was Hatchet. What a perfect name for me to have to cut. <laughs> so, right. so, so my daughter and I began to, to edit it, and it was like cutting off appendages every time she'd send <laughs> it back to me, you know. But we finally got it down, and by then they had, my, my book fell un, under the category of literary fiction, and they had closed that particular department of ha- the Hatchet Publishing Company because oh. of because of you know the economy. So oh, I thought you were going to say because of you. No. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so y- y- you know, uh, so I was I was pretty devastated. But my husband, the forever cheerleader, said, "Put it on the back burner and start working on the second one." which I did. So I just went from the next one, and I learned, keep, keep it between 80 and 100,000 words, 110,000 words. That's what, what the reading public likes in a book. So, and it was easier with the second one because it was boys, and, you know, boys are not as verbal as, as girls are. Right. So it was easier to do that. So I was into writing that second book when a gentleman, a, a well-known figure in Fayette County, approached me and said, I have opened a small publishing company and I'm interested in reading your book. And I knew he had, he was publishing, but what he was publishing were nonfiction. So I said, you're not, I said, mine's fiction. You're not going to, I don't think it fits with your publishing company. He said, well, just send it to me. So I did. And 24 hours later, he came back to me and said, I love it. He said, I'm going to add a new brand to the publishing company. 
and we're going to publish it under that new brand. So uh, so then he was waiting in the sidelines for the second book. So in between when that first book, when Star Flint came out, and I started doing all, all kind of book clubs and signings and doing all of that, in between I was working away on Buck's Junction. So I was busy. I, I got busy in a hurry with all of that, and that kept me really busy until uh, when the second book came out in 2012, I spent a good 18 months, you know, on, on the road, touring, doing everything. Any, any, anytime anybody asked me to come talk about my book, I was there because it's, <laughs> my, right. my oldest daughter, the marketing guru, Holly, uh, said the best way to market your books is by word of mouth and you mm-hmm. showing up places. So I did that. Then my husband retired. In uh, about uh, 2014, but he had he kept his a sideline part of his business, and he was mm. still working doing it, but from home. So that was nice. Commercial doors was it commercial? Yes, doors? He, yes, yes, it was. He he. We decided we we had a, a large house in Peachtree City, and we decided it was time to sell it. Uh, I had been helping to care for my mother; she passed away, and we decided to sell the house. And we on our bucket list was to move to Florida. And so hmm. this became the next adventure. I'm telling you my different adventures. And so we moved to Sarasota near our youngest daughter, Amy, who lives in Bradenton, which is not that far away. So oh, we moved okay. to Sarasota, and we spent two years in Sarasota doing all the beach stuff that we ne- always wanted to have time to do. And we loved it. But he started showing some signs of poor health. We weren't quite sure what was going on. And after two years, I looked at him and I said, you ready to go back to Georgia? And he said, yes. Mm. So that's when we moved to Carrollton because he grew up in Carrollton. And it was like God's hand moving us there. It was perfect because he had a lot of friends and family still in Carrollton. And he was, I mean, less than six months after we moved back to Carrollton, he was diagnosed with Lewy body's dementia which is an ugly, ugly disease. It's what Robin Williams had and Ted Turner has. At the time, there had been, and still, there's very little literature on it. So I spent the next couple of years, I had started the third book, but I had spent the next couple of years with the third book on the back burner while I cared for him. And um, we lost him in December of 2020. And then... I had to reinvent myself again. We had been married for almost 50 years. And uh, he was, as my mother used to say, we were the two that were joined at the hip. So it was quite a change for me. But I figured out there were things I could do that I, I had already, he had always handled all the finances. And when he got sick, I had to do it. And, oh, my, what a learning curve. But I figured it out. I learned it. And I learned about how to, how to get my taxes ready and all that that I had never done before. And it was during, you know, dur- at the end of the pandemic when houses were selling really well. And I happened, uh, I knew I would need to get out of this big house. It was way too much for me. And I, I, I took a little ride with my dog one day on a, a cloudy, ugly day. I said, let's go for a ride. And we went over a mile from where I live to, to this uh, community that has townhomes. And there was one for sale by owner. I wrote it down 
And I, I'm going to tell you something because this is, this is funny about financing, too. I had, had just gotten his life insurance, and I had talked to someone that handled my other money, and I didn't really like what he said to do. So I called my brother-in-law, uh, Mike Moore, who was a, a broker, a stockbroker, for uh, 35 years in the Atlanta area. And I, I said, you know, what do you think? He said, no, I wouldn't do that either. He said, you know, Jill, I know you said you wanted to invest in some property. I'd use that money to do that. Mm. I said, well, that's interesting because I've got, a, got an appointment to see this townhome tomorrow. So I went the next day. I loved it. I mean, I made them an offer, and I had never done anything like that. My husband, <laughs> he was sitting on my shoulder saying, Lower, right, lower, right. lower. You know, I made them an <laughs> offer, and they said, "Let me, let us think about it." Went back and and called the real estate agent that had helped us find the house in Carrollton. I said, "Can you sell my house?" And she said, "In two weeks." And so she, when I started telling her what I was doing, she gave me some tips. I went back, and and the people called, and they gave me a, a number, and I countered, and they took it. So wow. I spent the next nine months. Using, I, per, I was able to purchase the townhome and use the insurance money to have it totally remodeled on the inside. Wow. So that was, and that was, and I, you know, hired people. I had never done anything like that. And I thought, I can't believe it. I, I'd, I'd look and I'd go, how am I doing this? How am I doing this? But I did it. So, and, and sold, our, sold the other house and, and moved in. So once I got there, that, that was an adventure in itself. And uh, <laughs> well, I, your your financial acumen seems so good that you might have to go on one of our other podcasts. Maybe money matters. <laughs> hey, I lived with a man who could balance my checkbook in his head, and I heard him bid jobs on the phone with numbers that he'd come out and pull out of his head. Now the man would leave me a note on the refrigerator and every word would be every other word would be misspelled. So we <laughs> complimented each other quite well. Right. Uh, and, and I but you know I guess I learned from osmosis because I you know watched him for so long and I you know it's amazing what you can do if you will just do it. Just right. try it, and you know, instead of just sitting there wringing your hands, and and that's not what I wanted my life after losing him to be. So it hasn't been. Well, when you say just do it, it, it I see why your daughter Holly's in marketing because that's such a great tagline for Nike. Yeah, you know, just do it. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so. This, if, you know, in, in the way shows work, this would be maybe where the sad music comes in, because I have a tough question. All right. uh, you've kind of touched on it already, right. but I think it really speaks to how strong you are, which I'm just trying to get a handle on, because I don't know that I could be that strong. So you, you've talked about how f you fear that in society, everyone today kind of feels like they should get exactly what they want to be happy. But life isn't really like that. No, it's unpredictable. Sir. It's unfair. And... Here, here's a few unfair things that have happened to you. So while riding Star of Flint, your sister was dying. Yes. Of, I think juvenile di yes, diabetes. Yes she, she, yes, she passed away. And the story, Star of Flint, is loosely based on me and my sister who died okay. from diabetes. Oh, okay, okay. And then while riding Bucks Junction, your mom was dying yes. of Alzheimer's, yes. I think. Yes, exactly. I lost her. And then her. While, while writing your third book, your husband died yes of louis body dementia and then by the way your dog died at some point yes uh, yes so we lost, in case we lost sundance enough. right after we moved to Carrollton. 
So is in case you didn't have enough going on that happened. And then so but despite all this, you seem to have found strength and peace and joy. And I'm just wondering how, because I think I would just be complaining a lot. I am anchored. I am anchored in a spiritual faith that gets me through everything. And you wouldn't know, you could not believe the number of times I have just stopped and said, help me, sweet Jesus. (laughs) And, and And I get that strength. I get that inner strength. I have a lot of friends that really circled the wagons around me when I when when my husband was sick, and he was a he was a personality plus. He was he, <laughs> he, he was a salesman, and he was bigger than life. And he he was a great family man, an amazing husband. We had an amazing marriage, and to watch him deteriorate, and the first thing that went was numbers. He lost mm. all ability. Oh, and he was so just, good at them. Yes, yeah. just broke my heart. But, you know, there there are a lot of things worse than death. And when you watch people that you love suffer, you know that they're not suffering anymore. It makes yeah. it easier to go on. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think about him every day. And that doesn't oh, mean course. that I say, okay, Lord, I'm starting this chapter now. I need some help. And put Dana, my husband's name was Dana. And he, he gave and received many a black eye over that name, which sounds like a girl. I said, put him on my shoulder, sit him right here so that he, he can help me. And, and I, I'll be honest, that's what gets me through every day and still does. Um, and, and I just want to say, I kind of love the name Dana. And I, I've been pitching it to my wife if we have another a kid because i think it's a versatile name it is and a this versatile is, this name. is maybe this is a sign that i <laughs> oh, maybe that it so be <laughs> maybe so and okay so this speaks a lot to perseverance uh, and i know oh my gosh one of your books yes does it start yes, with a the, quote from the book of james yes that uh, star flint my husband now you talk about somebody that that was resilient uh by the time he was 11 he had lost a brother in a car wreck, and by the time he was 12, he had lost his father uh, to a heart attack. And he was the baby. He was the youngest of four children. He was still really young, and the other three were already grown. And then when he was 15, he was in a moped accident with his female cousin on the back of it, and somebody ran into the back of them, and she was killed. Oh. That all happened before he was 16 years old. But he pulled himself up by the bootstraps, and he, he, he had this wonderful ability to look for the good in everybody. And he was perseverance in the flesh. And the storyline, the, one of the threads that runs through Buck's Junction is the verse from James, perseverance must finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And my oldest daughter, Holly, when that book came out, she had me a beautiful bangle bracelet engraved with that verse. And wow. I've got it on today because oh. anytime I do kind of, any kind of speaking engagement, I wear it. And oh. it, it, has been, it, it has been my rock, my standard for moving forward. Wow. I, I was going to say because Amy did all the help on the book, but then Holly giving you that bracelet puts her back ahead. Oh, in terms yeah. Of- <laughs> Yeah, I, I try not to, to 
to let them compete with each other. They don't. <laughs> right. they, they, they are very dear to my heart. They are very <laughs> different, but they're also very close to one another. And they have been, uh, as a matter of fact, when, when my husband first passed away, I finally had to tell them they were getting way up too up in my business, both of them. <laughs> You know, I said, let, let, let me figure it out myself, you know, but they right. were just being protective. So. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you said, I need some space. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how your family seems so close and that doesn't always happen. I mean, I mean, how, um, how did you, how did you do that? Love, enthusiasm for whatever they wanted to do. My husband was a strong believer that even though they were girls, that they could do anything they wanted to do with their lives. And I supported that 100%. And we we took a family vacation every summer to the beach, and we spent a lot of time together. You know, we were just—he he was the one— that they would go to, they, they would go to him for some things and me for other things. If they right. had board trouble or they needed help with the research paper, they came to mama. But <laughs> if they had money problems, or Holly especially, uh, when she first started in the business, she talked to daddy once a week about what was going on. And when, when her first job, they had lunch every Friday. Wow. They would meet for lunch every Friday because they were both working in Atlanta. So, and then I think uh, little sister Amy was there too for for about two years, and so they would all three have lunch together. They left Mama out, but you know right. that was okay. Right. Well, I was back working. Yoga, or, I was back. Yeah. Yeah, I know I was back <laughs> teaching back then. You know. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so any, anyway, but I think you have to work at relationships. And oh, you have yeah. to learn to compromise, and you have to learn to take the back seat sometimes and be the driver sometimes. I was so amazed at my husband's ability to support me. He called himself the book toter. When we would go to book events, he said, I'm just the book toter. But <laughs> I, I, I don't think I ever, except when, when our children and our grandchildren were born, I don't think I've ever saw him prouder than when my books came out. Oh. It was like, he was just such a great support, you know. You picked a good one. Yes, I did. That's a funny story, too. We met at, uh, at a fraternity party at West Georgia College. He was a Sigma Nu and I was a Phi Mu. And um, that night I went back to the dorm and told my roommate that I was going to marry him. And six months later, we were married. Wow. <laughs> oh, my. I guess you knew. you. It, it was just like, <laughs> bam, you know. So, Whoa. Uh, yeah. Oh That's, my goodness! I was nineteen, and he was had had just turned twenty one when we married. So, oh my gosh, I would have killed my daughters if they'd done that. But oh yeah, <laughs> it right? was a different yeah. time, you know. <laughs> right. So you were married more than fifty years. Uh, I think right, not quite fifty years. We missed it, but by about six months. Okay, so. my my parents have been married, you know, fifty five wow. years or so. Remarkable. And, they, well, and people uh, will always say to my mom. You know, that's so romantic, but her response is more of, well, kind of, but it's also hard work. <laughs> it is work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, a relationship like that is is work. But he just had this amazing philosophy about life. And when I would come home from teaching and it had a really bad day, his favorite line would be, honey, by July, you will have forgotten all about it. Oh, that's a because great I, line. You know, so, uh, but but we laughed a lot. That that's another thing. Laughter, even now, is so important for for my life. I am not a mully grubber. I am not one that sits around and feels. You probably have you ever heard that word mully grubber? No, my my no. daddy used to use it. You got the mully grubs? Get out of the mully grubs. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, laugh, find joy in whatever 
makes you happy. And a lot of times it's just walking my dog and, and see, hearing the birds and, and just being a part of this world. And, and don't sit in front of the TV and watch the news all day long. Yeah. You know, because especially, and that happens to, to some of my friends. You know, I know people that that's, they watch. To, and, and that's not a way to live. That's a late no. way to be miserable. So uh, I heard a lady say one time when my mother was living somewhere and I met this uh, much older, she was older than my mom. And she said, you've got to exercise and socialize. And that <laughs> is so true. So very true. It, it's so true. It, it makes such a big difference. It does. It does. Do you think all this, I mean, not just the writing, but but everything you're talking about is is sort of a life catharsis? I mean, it seems like you've, oh, you've kind of... the writing, yeah. the right. The first book was a book I, I needed to write. I, I needed to write it. It was cathartic for me. Uh, the second book was one I just wanted to write. After I'd heard all these tales from my husband, he he had so many big fish tales. And here's the funny thing about those big fish tales. I thought, oh, that's a bunch. There's no way that really happened. When I started researching the book, he had this core group of friends. And I, I wrote each one of them. I emailed each one. I said, I want you to tell me one story that stands out about Dana when y'all were growing up as teenagers. Well, some of those big fish tales were the truth because that's the stories they shared with me. So I was really, you know, and, and, and I think that that was not only cathartic for me, it was cathartic for him because it's one very serious issue. It, it has to do with the moped accident that I told you about. And oh, he right. never had shared that with me. And it was the 4th of July, and we were babysitting somebody, our next-door neighbor's swimming pool. Hard thing to have to babysit. So we were in the pool. It was hot, and he was floating on the float, and I was just hanging on the end. And I just started asking him questions, and he shared what had happened. And that was the first time. And I mean, we'd been married 44 years by then, you know. So, so uh, yes, writing is cathartic. I think um, exercise is cathartic. You know, I can get For up. Sure. I, I, t- I have a lady that stands right next to me in yoga, and she's 75. I have a lady that comes to my second class, which is for for all ages, uh, but you know it's for for senior citizens too. We make it our own according to what what she's she's ninety three years old, and she does not miss a lick, and she uses <laughs> the same weights that I do. But here's what I here's what I tell my friend in yoga. I look I looked at her one morning. I said, if I don't wake up with something hurting on me, I'm dead. I mean, I'm dead because, you, you know, but move, move. And right. you, you, that hurt will go away. That hurt on the outside. And sometimes moving will make that hurt on the inside go away. It will lift whatever oh. it is that you're letting pull you down, you know. I, I think I exercise more for that than I do for oh, the, yes. the physical. It's so much for the brain and the soul. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, luckily, I just happen to have six-pack abs and giant biceps. Uh, uh, but that's, that's, you know. that's nice. <laughs> I, I won't, uh, you know, th- there's some things that gravitate to your body when you reach my age that ain't no exercise going to help. <laughs> well, again, I think I'm already there. But, uh, <laughs> 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 well, I, you know... Just kind of wrapping up here, you you talk, or one of your books, I, I can't remember if it's Bucks Junction or not, the Ogeechee River is kind of a yes, big Yes, the Ogeechee piece. River, that's in Bucks Junction. That's down near Savannah. And Oh, uh, okay. Oh, one of our producers, Mallory, I think, yes. likes going to Savannah. It, 
Okay. So you you kind of described it as ain't nothing around it, the yeah. Ogeechee River. Uh-huh. Uh, that seems like the exact opposite of you, your life because there's a lot around you. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> any symbolism of what you, you, uh, you know, maybe the Ogeechee was the opposite of you or, or what, you know, it, it, maybe it just the Ogeechee, has perseverance. The, the, the Ogeechee is solitude. But let me tell you something. There's a lot to be said for solitude. After Dana died, I had to learn to live alone without being lonely. Wow. And sometimes solitude is good. I, I like my time alone. Now, that doesn't mean I need it 24-7, but... You know, yes, I like a busy life. I like, but but there's a difference in making busy and enjoying the busy. And you have to find what it is you enjoy, and that will bring you joy, and you'll be busy too. But solitude's good too. There, there's times for that. And I've had a lot of time to reflect. And I think I spent a lot of time reflecting on this book. This has been the most difficult book for me to write because I didn't have my number one cheerleader right behind right, me. Right. And uh, because I'm I'm a little more detached from the characters in this book. And so it has been but it's been a blessing for me to write because it has really pushed me. And I need we even even when we're retired we need pushing. We don't oh, ever need to just stop. Of course. Yeah. I mean with your with when you had your cheerleader, it was like the Chattahoochee, and and then without him, it's like the Ogeechee. Ogeechee, yeah, Ogeechee. probably yeah. so, probably so. <laughs> and would you say, you know, you you just reminded me, there's a a line from a movie called Heat where Robert De Niro plays a you know a criminal, uh-huh. and he says, uh, "I am alone. I'm I'm not lonely." Yes, you know? uh, and that's there's I mean there's nothing wrong with being yeah. alone. It's all if you feel lonely or not. Yes, right? that, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We could we could be lonely with people all around us or we could, you know, be completely happy with no one. That's right. exactly you know. right. And I've and I've yeah. found that happiness because I love to read. And so that's my solitude is reading. And uh, you know, it's almost like a pacifier at night. And you know, when I go run through the channels on TV and there's absolutely nothing on, then I pick up my Kindle and I read. Right. Well, Jill before we go in, do you want to say anything else about your new book or when it's coming out or where people I'll, can find it? I'll tell it? you a little bit about it. It's uh, the, the title is Bonnie Max Cafe. It takes place in Zebulon, Georgia, which is in Pike County between Griffin and Thomaston. And Thomaston is my hometown. And it is it has a school teacher in it. But most of the action takes place in this little cafe, and I have a real uh, former colleague who grew up there, and he gave me a lot of inspiration with some of the colorful characters from that time, from the time period. It starts in the in the 60s, but it goes all the way to today. But but the characters, colorful characters that he remembered, have become characters in my book. And so that's fun. But a lot of the action takes place in the cafe. And it is, it, you know, it, it has a it has a, a mystery twist to it, as my other two mm. do. Both of my other two books have a little bit of a mystery twist to them. But uh, it, it, it's been fun to write. It's been, it's been a challenge to write. But I'm getting so close. I, I don't know what I'm going to. My youngest daughter, Amy, said, Mom, Mama, why are you in such a hurry to finish it? She said, what are you going to do then? 
<laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> next adventure. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, next book, hopefully, for uh, your we'll readers' see. sake. You're just like the railroad in Bucks Junction. You keep going choo-choo. Uh, you know? uh, yeah, yeah, that's what you have to do, chug-a-lug. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, Jill, thanks so much for being on Happiest Retirees and, and for showing us what it is to be a happy retiree. Well, thank you. I have really enjoyed getting to talk with you. Oh, same here. The pleasure's all on this side of the microphone. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> all right. Well, you have a great day, okay? You too. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. 